Well, I have a couple of announcements for you before we uh, jump into the sermon today. Uh, Number one is an announcement about an announcement. We're going to have another announcement after our service concludes this morning, and I think you'll be really interested in it, and I would really encourage everybody to stick around and uh, hear what's uh, what's happening. Secondly, we are, uh, as a session, uh, creating some listening sessions. Uh, Some major decisions could be made in our church potentially this coming year. And uh, we have decided we want to create some environments that are safe where we can hear from our congregation what's on their hearts uh, and and discern God uh, through those times. So we're creating two online events, one Sunday uh, a week from today after the service and then one the following Monday night. And uh, you will get an email about this and you can sign up for either of those if you like. What we will be doing is creating breakout rooms. We'll have an elder in each breakout room and we will take note and bring the information back to the, to the session. We also are going to really encourage life groups to meet, even if you haven't been meeting recently. But to have that discussion and hopefully have someone there with you and again an elder who can really listen and understand what's in the minds and in the hearts of God's people for our future. So uh, please be aware of that and look for an email which is to come and sign up, get connected, and uh, let us hear your thoughts. Let me pray, and then we'll uh, hear from the Word of God. Lord, our hearts are with you. We just we trust you, Lord, and we love you, and we recognize your goodness to us in so many ways. And God, as we continue to think about the church, uh, do something new here, Lord, in the minds of people who go to church and who care about church. But Lord, give us a hunger for more. Teach us, Lord, how to engage the church in the way that the Bible calls us to so that we might know you in your fullness and in your goodness and in your grace. So bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, what church, why bother is the title. You've just seen moments ago the, the graphic that uh, Amy Nanskevel put up uh, for us or created. A shout out to Amy, our communications person. Does a great job. But it's about... A woman standing there with her hands in the air and she looks a bit frazzled. It's like with so much going on in life, why would I go to church? Why bother? And we, we, we looked at that scenario and, and, and we discovered that last week that there's a common idea th- that exists in various places. And that is, I don't need the church. I don't need the church. For some of you, you might, that might be relevant. For some of you, that might be your thought. But uh, for some of you, it might not be. Maybe you go to church all the time, but I want you to listen carefully because there's a message for you too here today. But in, in, us, in, in response to that question, why do I need the church, my growing awareness uh, produces an answer simply that states, well, if you don't need the church, why did God create it for you? And essentially, that's the reality. Why does God want you to engage and be so much of a part of a church if you don't need it? What we're going to recognize again is that, that when God created the church at Pentecost, he did something incredibly good, something that, that he's eager for, for us to be part of so that he might bless us through it. And I want you to listen and to hear how that might happen in your life as we go here this morning. Now, again, it doesn't matter the form. You know, you have the microchurch movement where people are meeting in houses. You have the satellite church movement. Uh, Think of the meeting house in Toronto with its 12 or 15 satellites. You might have a congregation such as ours where we're part of a historic denomination. It doesn't matter the form. What matters is that we follow the biblical instruction about being the church and we engage the church in the way the Bible calls us to. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to stay with the idea, why did God create the church? And I want to tell you about uh, someone I've been reading about and learning about 
uh, whose name was John Wesley. You may know the name. His brother, Charles Wesley, wrote more than a thousand songs, powerful songs of praise and worship, identifying who God is and in our relationship with him. They believed strongly that teaching came through hymns just as much as it did through sermons. Anyway, John Wesley was an 18th century Anglican priest in England who began what has become known as Methodism, uh, a, a method whereby people could grow in faith. Uh, it, that whole initiative of Methodism uh, and the idea I'll explain to you produced in, in the end the holiness movement and it produced denominations and so forth. But the idea that John Wesley had is how do people grow in faith? How do they become holy? How do they move beyond and overcome the sin that's in their lives through a profound experience of God? He believed that it was possible to so experience the Holy Spirit that the love of God would just fill our hearts to the extent that we would no longer consciously sin. Now, that's somewhat controversial. We could talk about that. But that, that's not so much the point here today. The point is this, that, that that man had this passion that people would grow in holiness. That he had this, this belief that there were what he called means of grace through which God worked, through which God's grace flowed into our lives so that we would be transformed and changed, so that we would break free from the power of sin. Well, his, his method became well-known, and it, once he died and moving into the next century, Methodism, that denomination was formed, and the Wesleyan denomination was formed, and that produced more of the holiness movement, the Salvation Army, and the Pentecostal Church, and on and on. He was an incredible initiator. But everything began on this idea that he, that he created, that grou small groups of people would come together, about 12 at the max. It sounded all familiar to those of you who call IPC home. And that those people would come together on a weekly uh, basis with the purpose of seeing sin overcome in their lives. And, and one of the types of groups, and there were several, but one of the types of groups that he initiated, he called the Band Society. Now I'm going to read to you some of the questions that these people would be asked, first of all, when they had the intention or the desire to become part of a band society. And I, I, I want to use these questions to take us somewhere. So listen to some of these. The first question, one of them, there are many, but was this. Do you have the intention to desire some person among us to speak his own state first and then to ask the rest in order as many and as searching questions as may be concerning their state sins and temptations? So someone's going to share their sin is going to ask others about it. Isn't that interesting? Another question that could be posed to these folks interested. Has, has no sin, inward or outward, dominion over you? The question basically is, does, is there a sin which is in control of you? Will you share that? And then this one, do you desire to be told of your faults? How would you respond to that one? How about, do you desire that every one of us should tell you from time to time whatsoever is in his heart concerning you? <laughs> Can I be honest with you about what I see in you? This question, do you desire that in doing this we should come as close as possible, that we should cut to the quick and search your heart to the bottom? Now this isn't fooling around. This is getting to the heart of who we are, knowing what's going on in our experience. And this one, do you desire and design to be on this and all other questions entirely open so as to speak everything that is in your heart without exception, without disguise, and without reserve, 
will you be really open with this group about what's going on in your heart? And then there are these five questions which were to be asked in each of the band society meetings on a weekly basis. Number one, what known sins have you committed since our last meeting? Wow. What temptations have you met with? How was you delivered, older English? How was you delivered from those sins and temptations? What have you thought, said, or done of which you doubt whether it be sin or not? Let's clarify whether something's sin in your life or not. Have you nothing you desire to keep secret? Now I want to tell you, my friends, <laughs> those are loaded, powerful questions. And my guess is that there are many, many Christians today who when presented with that idea of potentially being that open about sin in their life would find it shocking. You know, their response would be something like, tell people my sins, I would never do that. It's not something that they would even contemplate, yet it says this in James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, my friends, <laughs> what Wesley is suggesting is that that verse and the questions that he devised based on that reality, entering into that sort of engagement is a means of grace. It's, it's a means whereby as we confess, God will move in our lives and the power of God will come upon us and the grace of God will so work in us that we will break free from the power of sin which has us in its dominion, to use the word of one of those questions. Yet so many people in our world today and in, our, in the church struggle with sin year after year after year. They never break free of it. They never experience the grace of God or the power of God in that victory. <laughs> And in essence, what they do instead is to try to deal with it alone, on their own. And you see, maybe the thinking lying behind some of that experience is very simply, I don't need the church. It's not that some people would stand up and say it. No, I don't need the church. But they don't engage that church. They don't experience the church the way that God calls us to. And my response, the word of God's response to you, my friends, if you think in that way is, yes, you do need the church. And thus God has created it for you. He has created it for you to help you break free of sin. You know, John Wesley was concerned about something he called formalism. Uh, formalism is, is, is essentially people engaging in the form of church. You go to church and you do the religious thing and you think after that, I'm fine, I'm okay. But Wesley's problem with that is that he did not see victory over sin in the lives of so many people. He didn't see people entering into a deeper experience of God. He didn't see people engaging in the church in the way that God called them to, and as a result, yes, they were functioning in the church, but not as God intended them to. And the point, I suppose, is this. Many people don't grow in faith because they do Christianity alone uh, and they don't engage the church in the way God intended them to let me let me tell you about other means of grace uh, some of which Wesley really felt strongly about one of them unquestionably was people's participation in the Lord's Supper a, a time of experiencing the grace of God a time when God would pour grace and love and goodness 
and healing into people's lives. You see, we in the Reformed tradition talk about the, the real presence of Christ at, at the table. And, it, and it's not so much that the bread becomes the body of Jesus, literally, or that the cup becomes his blood, but it is that by his spirit, the living Christ is with us to transform us and to change us. It's to be a deeply spiritual time when, we are, when Christ is more present to us than at any other time in our lives. And that's something we experience together. You know, the, the communion is to be a, a holy, holy moment where we are restored in our fellowship with Jesus, where we seek and are given forgiveness of our sins, where we encounter God's love and God's grace. He pours it upon us so that as we eat and as we drink, our souls are nurtured and we are built up in Christ and made, made whole even further. You see, John Wesley said that we that his people were to experience the Lord's Supper at least weekly. Um, We don't do it weekly. The Anglicans did and still do. But my friends, I want to ask you the question, how do you engage the Lord's Supper? Is it in in, in the fashion of formalism? Go through the form, you know, doing what you need to do, taking the actions of eating and drinking and so forth? Or is it a deeply and profound, a, a deep and profound experience of Christ? It changes you as a means of grace. Now, another thing that Wesley talked about was worship. <laughs> he said that we were to attend the ministry of the word daily, unless we were ill or traveling on business. It's remarkable what he called people to and the commitment that he called from people as they followed Jesus. The idea that you get yourself into the, 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 that place where Scripture is preached and taught that you get yourself to that place where we can feast on the, on the word of God because as Jesus said, our souls are hungry for it and it nurtures our souls and, and, and causes transformation within. You know, we, we, we enter into that, that ministry of the word and we are impacted and our faith is deepened. A place where we experience God's grace, a place where God speaks by his spirit, a place where we encounter God. Another means of grace. You know, one other idea that I'll throw in here, well, actually two that aren't necessarily from Wesley, but, you know, the idea of accountability. And, of course, in a, in a band, band society, there is all kinds of accountability. Me asking you about your sin, you asking me about my sin. But how about the accountability of, to spiritual leadership that can happen? We're going to talk more about that in a, in a few weeks because that is part of being in a church. But what happens when, when, when you know, you're struggling with a sin? Are we willing to be accountable? Are we willing to be accountable to those whom God has put in spiritual leadership over us? I'm going to read to you Galatians 6, 1. Um, It's a powerful verse. It's a a verse which uh, I I think of on occasion and and I think um, has great significance for us. But it simply says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Now, (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's talking about a means of grace. That's talking about being part of a church where there are most often people in that role of elder who have that biblical mandate to speak into our lives when they see we need it. You know, it's the idea that all of us, all of us at times need other people. There are times, if you would, that we veer off course. And sin does become that powerful and real in us, and we need someone in grace and in love and in gentleness 
to come into our lives and get us back on track. My friends, that doesn't happen anywhere other than when we're part of a church. And there, my friends, God can work and God can convict and God can pull us back to himself by his grace, by the work of his spirit through the ministry of his people. Last one. I spoke a few weeks ago now on one anothering, one another. Do you remember that sermon? I was talking about the idea that um, in the, in, uh, we were introducing the IPC care ministry to the church, but the, all through scripture we're told to love one another and forgive one another and pray for one another and serve and accept and be kind to and encourage and be patient with one another and on and on it goes over a hundred times. You know what I want to tell you this morning, my friends? You can't do that on your own. <laughs> one anothering doesn't happen unless you have another to one another. We do it in the context of the church. Do you see this? Listen to me. The church is an assault on the idea of any Christian doing Christianity on their own. It's not part of the biblical mandate. It's just not there. It's always in the context of being part of the body of Christ. By the very definition of what a church is biblically, we do it together. Let me, let me illustrate this a little bit for you. I sometimes think that God had a bit of a smile on his face when he created marriage. You know, him joining two people together as they take vows to love and be faithful, they enter into that covenant relationship, and, and then they have the physical sexual union. The two of those things together create marriage that these people will then live in all of their days because God knows that while they love each other, you know, he has a bit of a smile on his face because he realizes he's putting two sinful people into that relationship. And he's he, into that binding covenant agreement where at times it won't be easy for them to love one another. So, for example, two people enter into, into, into marriage who have this strong tendency to love themselves. But in that relationship, they are called to learn how to love the other first. To submit to the other, to put the other before themselves. You know, two people come into this relationship and maybe a strong streak of selfishness or not so strong, but it's there. It's human. And they're asked to learn to be selfless toward one another. You know, maybe two people come into marriage and there's an impatience in one or the other to some degree and they're called to learn patience, long-suffering in this covenant relationship, etc., etc. You see, when, you, when, when I say these things to you and I ask the question, I want you to think, why did God create marriage? Well, there are a lot of reasons for the production of children and so on and so forth, but I want to tell you, he created marriage to create an environment of transformation for those people who would participate in it. <laughs> and then after a little while, he threw throws children into the mix and my goodness then you go a step further in terms of sacrificial love and selflessness and patience and so on yeah i think god maybe had a bit of a smile on his face when he created marriage because he knew that through the struggle of marriage can i put it that way and not all, all struggle but it's there we would become like his son we would be transformed we would be changed now in that context let me ask you this question again why did God create the church? Why did he put broken, wounded people 
whom he knew would wrong one another and offend one another and hurt one another into this covenant community. <laughs> this community of people who, who, who are in covenant relationship with God and with one another. It's, it's a highly committed state, isn't it? But people, my friends, who wouldn't always be good to one another. Well, can I suggest to you that he put us into such a thing in order that he might give us another environment where we could be transformed by the means of grace that he intended to exercise and, and use in order that we might be made into the image of Christ? That being, if indeed we chose to stay in that church and not run away from it or to abandon it. See, my friends, life in the church isn't always easy, is it? You, you know, if you've been in the church, you'll know that. It, there are many incredible joys and there's lots of goodness and, 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 and celebration. Sometimes there are challenges in relationship. I want to read to you Matthew 18, verse 15. And this text is a text where Jesus is speaking. Um, he's, he's addressing a circumstance where somebody's wronged you. And he's, he's telling us what we should do when we've been hurt by somebody or offended by somebody or or whatever the case might be. And what he says is this. And I am looking for it. Sorry, Matthew 18, verse 15. Did I say that? It says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Now, this is explicitly clear teaching by Jesus. If somebody wrongs us, what are we to do? You know, so many people would just stand back and say, well, Chris, I, I don't want to do that. That would be uncomfortable. Chris, you know, I think I'm just going to leave it alone and, and just let it pass by. Chris, time heals all wounds. You know, it's not something that I would be comfortable doing. I'm, I'm just going to, to not bother. You know what happens, my friends, when we choose that path? We end up with Christians who are alienated from one another in the same body. We end up with people who are resentful toward one another in the same church. And Christ comes along and he says, I want you to work out your struggles and your challenges and your difficulties. I want you, if you need to, to go and lovingly confront somebody in, in the hopes that it, they'll understand the harm you felt and maybe say they're sorry and there can be good dialogue and relationships can be restored. That's my will for you. You know what? It doesn't happen very often. You know, it just doesn't happen very often. Matthew 5 is another teaching, and this is a, a text which addresses those circumstances which arise when we know we have hurt someone else, when we have wronged someone else, when we have alienated someone else. Matthew 5, 23 and 24 uh, say this. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, altar first go and be reconciled to them then come and offer your gift again powerful teaching it's talking about going to worship god and if you recognize <laughs> that 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 you are the one who has caused the offense jesus is clear go before you worship don't come into my presence alienated don't come into my presence and not be reconciled go to that person say listen i know i wronged you and i'm sorry Let's be reconciled. Let's work out our differences. Let's come together in unity 
in peace before God. And again, my friends, folks might e- easily say, yeah, Chris, that's hard. I'm just going to move on. I'm just going to uh, leave that one alone. And you know what happens in both instances? What happens consistently is that we miss the opportunity to experience the means of grace which God has established whereby we might be transformed, where his church might be blessed, where we might grow deep and deep, uh, deeper into, into a knowledge of him. You know, my friends, I'm talking today about church why bother and the idea that sometimes people think you know i don't need the church you know maybe in the end of the day what's being described here isn't so much a question about whether the church is valuable my assumption is people think i don't need the church because it's not valuable right maybe the deeper question is is the church functioning in a way so that it is an incredibly valuable thing in my life and in yours you know, are we engaging the church in the way that makes it valuable, that, that brings the blessings of God into our lives? Or are we not? You know, can I bring application? Will you find a place in this church, if you're part of it, or in the church that you belong to, where you can confess your sin so as to become holy in increasing measure? Will you commit yourself to a huge priority of worshiping God week after week after week by giving God that hour on a Sunday morning, making him primary in order that you might get into his presence and you might hear his word and you might have the opportunity to praise him, that you might be transformed by the mechanism that God has created for our blessing? Hmm. And then again, I ask you the question, how do you engage the Lord's Supper? Is it just formalism? Is it just going through the motions? Or my friends, is it a deep and profound experience of God's grace and love? Accountability, are you open to it? If indeed you're veering off track and people have the courage to come and say, hey, we need to talk, are you open to that? You see, we have to get if indeed we need to, we have to get beyond any expression of formalism. We have to move toward what God wants the church to be in increasing measure. IPC, I'm challenging here. I'm calling us to more in terms of what Scripture teaches. And I want to tell you this, and I want you to hear this. God's plan is to flood your life with His grace to pour his grace into your life so that you can become more like Jesus, so that we can become more of the church that he intends us to be. But I want to tell you, we have to engage the church biblically. We have to do it in a way that God has designed it to be done. I want to tell you this. If you will engage the church in this fashion, you will never in a million years say, I don't need the church, because you will come to understand how, how much and how dramatically you do need God's people in your life to help you grow. Hmm. You'll come to an opportunity where you will be deeply thankful for this thing that God has created us to, for this thing that he invites us to participate in in increasing measure so that he might transform us into the image of his son. Let's pray. 
Lord, we do thank you for this teaching. It's, it's teaching, Lord, which pushes us. It's te- teaching which takes us beyond the norm. Maybe it's teaching that takes us beyond formalism. But God, we want more of you. We want to experience what you have for us in this life. We want to break free from sin. We want to experience you in the communion. We want to hear your word speaking powerfully into our lives in worship and so on, Lord. So God, we pray that you will lead all of us. Lead us as a church. Lead the people who are listening today, Lord. Lead me. And help us to go deeper and experience more of what you want for us in the church. And I guide this, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.